Welcome to Life Cycle, the podcast that looks at how technology is changing our lives. I'm John Holton and I'm here with my co-host Eva Kelly. Today we're tackling a big and exciting topic, the future of AI. We'll be discussing the potential of AI and its implications for the world. We'll also be talking to experts in the field so you can get better understanding of the possibilities and potential of AI. So let's dive in and explore the world of AI. What will the future look like when AI is part of our lives? Tune in to find out. Um, John, are you okay? You don't sound good. What do you mean I don't sound good? I think I sound kind of good. In fact, I think I sound excellent. Now I don't have to work. I don't have to flex my vocal cords or expend any energy. I'm going to sit back and relax, and I'm going to just simply phone in my contribution to this episode. You sound really depressed. Life Cycle, a podcast about the future of humanity. So, as you might have guessed, at the top of the show there, you heard an AI version of my voice reading out AI-generated texts. Since a number of years, the rise of all things artificial intelligence seems to be on the up and up. It feels like there's an AI service or API for everything. Indeed, for the sake of making a podcast episode such as this one, we probably could technically farm the whole thing out to ChatGPT for content, resemble.ai for our voices, which is what... I was using at the top of the show, or indeed for music, sound, copy editing, and transcription. There's a service for all of it. Uh, yeah, just listing recent articles I've come across in the last week shows the crazy range of AI services and products. Get this, Deep Fake Neighbor Wars, a TV show in the UK whose title speaks for itself, I guess, or does it? It's literally deep fakes of celebrities like Adele, Idris Elba, Greta Thunberg fighting neighborly wars, but like in a trash reality TV way. Then a self-driving baby stroller whose AI will alert parents to various dangers. Handy? Question mark? Uh, Apple has launched a catalog of audiobooks narrated by AI voices. Then Synthesia.ai that offers to make a talking head video for whatever text you input within minutes. Or the dozens of, I mean, somewhat sad maybe, and also somewhat inevitable probably, AI, girlfriend, boyfriend, friend, relationship apps. Um, and this is just service apps and programs, you know, like the fun stuff. There's massive moves in industry and business. BioNTech, who helped create COVID vaccines, has forked out half a billion dollars for a UK AI startup, Instadeep, at the start of 2023, which is an AI-powered decision-making system for enterprises. AI is everywhere, and it all moves so fast. Like, literally every day there's something new, I feel. Yeah, there definitely is. It's, it's really um, breathtaking almost. So I think in this episode, you know, we should look at how AI interacts with writing and storytelling, what, what we do. And we can see if the stories that we tell ourselves are going to be fundamentally reconfigured by some of these new developments. Okay, so basically, let's focus on how our job is going to be obsolete soon. <laughs> yeah, we can try and keep it relevant to uh, what we do whilst making this podcast. Um, but even beyond what we do, for example, you know, when people use text inputs uh, into language models or prompts and then they get, for example, artworks, um, that's also AI. And we're not really going like, to focus on that in this episode, but we can point out that all the artwork for the, the, um, 
season of this, this season of the life cycle is actually a collaboration between Mundi, our executive producer, and Midjourney, which is um, one of one such AI text-to-image product. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk about ChatGPT since it was released in November 2022. Let's have a look at it. What is it exactly? I know it was released by OpenAI, the AI research lab and corporation that is led by Sam Altman. People think it's Elon Musk's company, but he's actually no longer on the board. Yeah, ChatGPT was, and still certainly is at the time of recording, incredibly popular. And it is fun to play with. Of course, it's got incredible implications from, you know, art and literature, education and health, but also to computing and, you know, technology in general. And I think before we look at whether or not we're going to lose our jobs and pass the Lifecycle podcast over to an AI, we can try and break it down first a little for ourselves. So chat GPT, this is the thing where you type in a sentence and it presents you with an AI generated paragraph. You give it a prompt and it does the rest for you, right? Okay, so tell me more about our enemy. Or our friend, Ava. Well, we'll see. (laughs) Yeah, OpenAI was launched in 2015 and it's dedicated to developing an open and friendly AI that's going to benefit all of us. To quote their slogan, our mission is to ensure that artificial general intelligence benefits all of humanity. They do seem to position the origins and initial motives to prevent scenarios such as that of the paperclip maximizer, as outlined in the season's interlude. Although funnily enough, Nick Bostrom, who, you know, came up with the paperclip horror show, has actually questioned their strategy. And so I'm going to quote him. If you have a button that could do bad things in the world, you don't want to give it to everyone, end quote. And that again brings us back to what we've seen over and over, I feel, on the podcast, whether, you know, um, we're looking at cloning or synthetic alcohol or, you know, whatever it might be. Are we as a species, you know, prepared and fully in the know about the implications of what these technologies mean? And, you know, if and when. uh, And even if they also cause all sorts of trouble and problems, it's kind of inevitable that we play with these innovations and push them. Uh, Apocalypse, as we learned, technically means revelation. So is it glass half full or half empty? Yeah, and history shows that we almost always overestimate the short-term impact of new communication technologies while underestimating their long-term implications. And we did this with everything from the printing press, photography, radio movies, and of course, the internet. Yeah, that's a survival strategy, I think, uh, prioritizing short-term gain over long-term gain. But let's go over what we're talking about. What is ChatGPT, put simply? Okay, so what we're talking about with ChatGTP is a large language model that has been augmented with a conversational interface. The GPT in its name stands for Generative Pre-Trained Transformer. A transformer is a model that can learn, basically, and can kind of improve through so-called self-attention. And I always find that term a little narcissistic, but however. It's not like the thing is sentient. (laughs) Um, Mostly these things are used in what's called NLP or natural language processing. But we're going to get to that in a little bit. So this model, it's been trained on hundreds of thousands of terabytes of text. Most of it's been scraped from the internet and it's read and memorized all of it. And so OpenAI has created this API, which 
I should point out, stands for Application Programming Interface, which I think is just a fancy word for a website. It's like an interface on a website that brings two different software services together. And it allows us, the general public, to interact with this particular massive language model. And it gives a pretty good, you know, impression of being, you know, sentient even. Uh, and you're able to have really smart, responsive conversations with it. Yeah, I mean, it's even led some people to humanize the machine to call it sentient. Um, there was the Google AI engineer, remember, Blake Lemoyne, who was fired after saying that Lambda, Google's dialogue technology, was sentient. Yeah, and so I think it's interesting if at this point we go and listen to Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI, and hear what he has to say himself. He, you know, has some kind of surprises uh, that he likes to focus on. He actually is way more optimistic than current experts. I think the biggest like systemic mistake in thinking people are making right now is they're like, all right, you know, maybe I was skeptical, but this language model thing is really going to work and sure, like images, video too, but but it's not going to be generating net new knowledge for humanity. It's just going to like do what other people have done. And, you know, that's still great. That's still like brings the marginal cost of intelligence very low, but it's not it's not going to go like create fundamentally new. It's not going to go cure cancer. It's not going to add to the sum total of human scientific knowledge. And that is what I think will turn out to be wrong that most surprises the current experts in the field. And it helps science and technology in really incredible ways, actually. You know, one example is Copilot, which is a collaboration between GitHub and OpenAI. We should point out for our non-coder listeners that GitHub is a website and service that allows coders and engineers to basically store and share their code. It allows them to collaborate on software projects. Uh, one coder, Clang, said it's kind of like a Wikipedia for code. And Copilot is this incredible tool nowadays or like that's come about for coders and it allows them to save huge amounts of time and, you know, also clean up their work and solve problems. And it's kind of changing how they, you know, do their day-to-day uh, tasks right now, even in this building probably. Uh, but we've also seen things like AlphaFold from Alphabet, which is a deep learning AI program that predicts how protein structures itself or proteins in general. And it actually helped with understanding how the SARS-CoV-2 structure uh, organizes itself. Altman also commented on the alignment problem, which is how we make sure all these advances in AI actually stay in tune with our goals, as in humanity's goals, which is what we kind of had an insight into in the paperclip interlude. Yeah, so the alignment problem is like, we're going to make this incredibly powerful system and like, it'd be really bad if it doesn't do what we want or, or if it sort of has, you know, goals that are... Uh, either in conflict with ours, um, and many sci-fi movies about what happens there, or goals where it just like doesn't care about us that much. And so the alignment problem is, how do we build AGI that, that does what is in the best interest of humanity? How do we make sure that humanity gets to determine the, you know, the future of humanity? Yeah, in a sense, the hope is that these models can become smart enough to teach themselves problems to overcome, right? So they'll be able to identify our human problems, such as racism, uh, but he does have some bad news for us in our job, Zeva. He singles out so-called creatives, I always, I've never really liked that term, as being the surprise victim of AI replacement when it comes to the jobs industry. I, I think, and I think we're seeing this now, that tools for creatives, are, that, that is going to be like the great application of AI in the short term. Um, people love it. It's really helpful. Uh, and I think it is at least in what we're seeing so far, um, not replacing, it is mostly enhancing. It's replacing in some cases, uh, but for the majority of like the kind of work that people in these fields want to be doing, it's enhancing. 
And I, I think we'll see that trend continue for a long time. Um, eventually, yeah, it probably is just like, you know, we look at 100 years, okay, it can do the whole creative job. So he points out that 10 years ago, and I think this is a fair point, everyone said that AI would replace blue-collar jobs first and move on to technical white-collar jobs and even coders or engineers before threatening to replace the jobs of the creatives, you know. And instead, in fact, it seems the opposite to be true. Of course, creatives, you know, here is a wide range of disciplines, but he admits that it's kind of general hard to predict. And it is, you know. I think I always think of Excel sheets. Um, you know, they were a massive software invention that threatened to replace, you know, all sorts of office workers like accountants and uh, different data processing jobs. But instead, you know, it's just become one more tool that many of us use. And that's what I'm really interested in, right? Like what we're talking about when it comes to AI, often we're talking about tools. And so I had a chat with the artist Constant Dullart and he's had some really interesting art projects in this domain over the years. And we got to have a chat about, you know, how he sees tools as, you know, vis-a-vis -vis art and creativity. And perhaps, you know, because artists and creative people aren't necessarily the ones to invent these tools, sometimes we don't necessarily know how to talk about them. And, and then if you look at like uh, artificial intelligence or GPT-3 or like these things, you would think of like, okay, so how do you then bring this into society and like who makes those decisions who has the like the final call i had wonderful conversations with um uh, linux core developers for example that i asked like if there are any ways that you could like add like a kind of waiver of intent or something that you would say like we wrote this with the intent that it wouldn't be used for killing people or torturing people mm -hmm. for example because of course it can be used in weapon systems or for surveillance or for whatever but then it was they were very hesitant to think of like how that would even manifest itself. Like how would you even and why would you say that? Like why wouldn't you just release the tool? Like mm -hmm. under what kind of condition? So you know, and this is something where I think there's not that much lexicon. There's not that many words for how do you release a tool? How do you know that it will affect? So I've only in one lecture ever heard about like a potential expression we could use for this principle which could be a tool horizon as in like the maximum capacity of a tool um so it could be for example there is after a while there is a limitation to like a canvas size in illustrator or mm. there is a limitation to and and it's true like you have you can only find that by stressing it or by mm. but but it's interesting that this is like there's no at least within my research, it's like I'm I'm trying to deal with that as an artist. So what Constant is talking about there is the fact that we need to figure out just how best to push these tools to their limits. And the best way to do so is to know what it is you want out of it. So sure, like ChatGPT may be able to do mundane tasks like summarize long articles or create first drafts of presenting information or create instructions. Or indeed, as we actually haven't touched on and we're not going to really dwell on it too much because it's a massive kind of ethical uh, moment or challenge in the AI sphere but academic essays and schoolwork are also being able to be uh, written and created by ChatGPT. but really it's going to be best used as a tool to augment already existing human capabilities so for example if you don't already know how to code it's not going to help you code and if you don't already know what a good poem is or indeed the use of poetry in human life it's not really going to radically change your understanding of what it means to be poetic. But you said we'd get back to the base of chat GPT and other language models. And what is of interest to us as writers, 
natural language processing, NLP, which is basically the basis of what all of this is, marrying linguistics with AI, making it sound natural, essentially. Yes, so I went around the corner to talk to our neighbors here in Kreuzberg, Berlin, to see how AI is being put to a business use. And I got to look at NLP in action. Yeah, so my name is Sarah Al-Husseini. I am the COO and one of the founders of Ultimate. And Ultimate is the world's number one rated support automation platform. Yeah, so Ultimate AI is the number one rated customer support automation platform globally. And that's as rated by the customer support community on G2. So it's really cool. Um, we have the pleasure of working with some amazing brands, you know, from Zalando to Zendesk. These brands use Ultimate to design virtual agents that work as real users in their CRM. So we're just this real user license, just like every other one of their human colleagues. And we can do everything in the CRM that a human agent can. So we work across any digital support channel. We can do actions in the back office system. We can issue triggers. Anything that a human agent basically does day to day, our virtual agents do too. We're not creating a virtual world and then trying to get humans to interact with robots for the first time. We're going, hey, you're already speaking to humans in support, mm -hmm. right? And we have to... We have to, in essence, compete with the human conversation. Mm -hmm. So your expectation is a human conversation. Um, anyway, so that has changed. Like human-machine conversations have changed a lot in the four, five years I've been building this company. So Ultimate AI uses a transformer-based model, like we mentioned earlier, that allows them to be incredibly specific in relation to the conversation any one particular customer support machine is going to have with a human. It also can do this in a bunch of different languages, depending on the needs of Ultimate AI's clients. It takes all the historical customer service conversations. So what we do is we'll, let's say, a random brand that you might buy from. So I don't know, uh, trying to think of a super, super global brand like a Foot Locker. We'll go in, we'll, our AI will pull all of the historic customer service conversations that Foot Locker's ever had with their mm -hmm. customers. And it will learn from those conversations all the different questions mm -hmm. that Foot Locker customer asks and all the different ways um, that agents are responding. And then we'll enable Foot Locker to design all these beautiful automated flows, you know, mm -hmm. what to do if all this, that, right? And that's all really just conversation design. Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily AI, that's human artistry right. on how to design sure. a great conversation. But the, the AI part is the understanding what Foot Locker customers want to talk about right. and being able to respond super, yeah, just conversationally, like super accurately, uh, just understanding people. That, at the end of the day, is what conversational AI is. It's right. just intent recognition, we call it. Okay. Understanding people's intents. Right. Conversation design and understanding people's intent, this is what underpins natural language processing. Yes, yeah, so much of text-based AI is about dividing up all of language, so into words, parts of words, punctuation, and so on, into what's called tokens, and then predicting which token should follow on from the next. So, for example, Ultimate AI creates their own language models, created with the help of human conversation designers, that can then comprehend and predict the intention of customers in need. So, it does turn out that there's still a job for humans here. 
But what about seedlings? It's no secret that Seed, the game, promises a persistent world peopled with AI-driven beings called seedlings. Um, so I've grabbed one of Clang Games' many gifted engineers, Evans Thomas. My name is Evans. I've been at Clang since December 2020. Uh, Clang has been, uh, before I joined, it was uh, kind of like a dream job for me to be able to work on uh, something as massive and grand as Seed. And I'm like, uh, I was really excited to be able to, you know, like be, uh, finally be a part of it. In the past uh, couple of years, I've been... <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you're getting emotional. <laughs> no, like I just need to cough. And I've mostly been like working on uh, AI and uh, features related to the AI. And it's been like really interesting so far, uh, just exploring uh, essentially what it means to be human, but from almost like a third party, uh, like a third person view, right? Because you look at your seedlings and you see all the things that are affecting them, their emotions, the things around them, and like, yeah, conversations, memories, so many uh, different systems that we've been building up so far. So it's been like quite interesting so far. What, what can these um, recent developments in AI offer uh, seeds development? <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's that's quite a broad question, John. Um, just looking at all of the uh, possibilities it offers, right? Like, just looking at it, it's quite mind-blowing. And uh, while it does have its own issues and limitations, I think we can just... Uh, it has so many applications in game development. So not only could it be useful for the process of making the game itself, right? Like, because we can use it to help us with coding or with other things also like uh, in game, like maybe narrative and stuff. Um, that's one part of it, like using it as a tool in order uh, to help us make the game faster or make the game better. Uh, also just, uh, we can also use it in the game itself, you know, like you've seen those uh, examples with seedling conversations. We had this radio example where we generated text in order to show it, uh, to play it on the radio. So it has like, yeah, a ton of different applications. So basically seedlings are AI driven entities to begin with. So we've been making this game for a couple of years. So now along comes these big developments from OpenAI and Google and all the main players. What specifically can that look like when you marry what we've already have with Seed and what they're offering? Yeah, um, so this is uh, sometimes the word AI gets a bit muddy, you know, because uh, when people say AI, they refer to multiple uh, different things. Uh, so we've uh, we've been very AI focused, like right from the beginning of Seed, because we know that the game is not going to be controlled by the player uh, all the time, right? Like for the, for the majority of the time, the player is going to be offline and seedlings are going to be like living in their own world, doing their own things. So this has been a focus for us right from the beginning. So that is, uh, we use an AI system called the utility AI system. And that's been there in seed, like uh, almost right from the beginning, which is basically seedlings uh, using the rules that we've defined um, based on their own conditions, whether they're hungry or they're thirsty uh, or they're like really tired, they decide what they want to do at any particular point in time. So that is what we've had for a really long time. Uh, I think the uh, other thing what people um, refer to when they say AI is, of course, you know, like things like chat GPT, like large language models and like neural networks, deep learning, all of that other stuff. So this is something we've been uh, looking at quite recently and we've had like a couple of game jams and we've uh, experimented with quite a bit recently. 
Um, so while the the first part is never going to go away, we still are going to keep that, and that's going to be like very fundamental to our game. Uh, this will basically be like a cherry on top, where it enhances uh, how the player sees uh, seedlings, and um, yeah, hopefully make uh, seedlings more relatable to the players. So if you could just walk me through kind of what what the uh, what you taught it to do at that hackathon. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'd love to talk about that. Um, so one of the ideas that uh, was, I mean, the idea that I worked on, uh, so we had different people working on completely different ideas. The idea that I worked on was the memory system. Uh, it's essentially like giving seedlings memories, uh, which is seedlings perceive the world that is happening around them. They remember that. They talk about that with other seedlings, uh, right? So for a big part of that uh, idea to work, uh, we don't really need chat GPT uh, because we can just do it with the systems that we have. Uh, we already have activities and like, you know, seedlings doing different uh, actions and then like this gets stored in seedlings memories. I think uh, we could have done that even without chat GPT, but where it really shines, like what... Um, makes it really shine is the addition of chat GPT in generating text conversations. So previously we would have had to either display through a UI and you know show some numbers or something like that or have a lot of pre-written text uh, through which we need to we need uh, we will have a bunch of pre-written text and then we'll pick an appropriate text right but that's quite limited. Instead what um, what we did here and I think what uh, made it much nicer, was that we could give a bunch of data to ChatGPT and say, hey, this seedling, uh, this is the seedling's name. They're talking about this particular topic. They saw this other seedling uh, slap the other seedling. Uh, this is their mood right now. They're a bit sad or this is their trait. Uh, you know, like they're, uh, they, they're quite cheerful, for example. And when you give all of this data and you give it in a nice structured way, ChatGPT takes all of that input and generates a really nice... Um, sounding conversation. And I think that's what made, uh, I think that was like a good use of ChatGPT in this particular uh, use case that we had. Uh, so we give it a prompt. Uh, we give all of this. Uh, so we have to also be careful about picking the data that we give to ChatGPT because it also has some uh, limitations in the token length and prompt length, right? Uh, and also we need to be careful about giving it the relevant information. We can't just like throw a bunch of data and hope it uh, makes sense out of it. So we pick the more interesting things that we want the seedling to talk about. And we essentially use ChatGPT as a text rendering layer. So how you would build systems and then you would like rendering render it through a graphics engine. Uh, what we did here was we gave ChatGPT some data and we said, hey, you know, this is the data, generate a conversation and give it back to me. And then we display that conversation in a nice way, you know, where like seedlings are talking and you see that text uh, mm -hmm. speech bubbles appear on top of their heads. Right. And then we actually, you actually married that to even another AI uh, API, yeah. uh, uh, which is our friends at Eleven Labs. So then what happened? Yeah, that made it actually a lot nicer as well. So we took the text that came from... Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so we took the text that came from ChatGPT and we gave it to Levin Labs API and they give us back an audio file where these uh, two seedlings are talking. So yeah, that is really cool to see. Yeah, so you made them joke. Got into space and got lost in the galaxy. Haha, that's hilarious. I've got one too. 
Why did the Aviston astronaut go to the moon? I don't know why. To get to the other side! Okay, and maybe one other thing I could ask you to talk about is the idea of when you're sending this data to this prompt to 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 uh, chat GTP, um, that if, for example, there's, uh, if it's not a clear enough uh, prompt, we'll have maybe what we could, what, what's called uh, AI hallucination. So maybe you could describe what an AI hallucination is and use the specific example of seed and the fact that seedlings are beings on a, on a planet far in the future, far away from Earth. Okay. Okay, I'm going to try. <laughs> so AI hallucination is essentially like um, the AI very confidently coming up with uh, random uh things to say even when it doesn't have any supporting data so it's essentially saying things that are not uh, facts um, and we've seen that quite a bit even when uh, in our game so when you don't give it enough information it uh, generates some conversations that don't really make sense in the context of our game world so for example uh, in the beginning like when I was just uh, trying out these prototypes initially I, I just gave very little in the prompt so I would just be like hey I'll generate conversation between two seedlings and then they would start talking about waterfalls and they start talking about picnics that they never went to or they would just be like hey let's plan and like let's uh, let's go uh, go on a date tomorrow and stuff like that right like and the problem in our case is it uh, it's such an immersion breaker because the player is like, wait, they're talking about a picnic they went to, but they actually didn't because I was like watching them for the past one hour or something, right? So that's going to be like an immersion breaker. Or they talk about Avestian cultures and like so many different things. Uh, so essentially when you give the prompt that Avesta is an alien planet, the AI essentially like to put it in human terms, it hallucinates a whole bunch of related information that kind of makes sense in one context, but in the context of our game, it's, yeah, it's, uh, doesn't really, it's not fact, essentially. Um, so, and the way we've been trying to solve it is by giving it more and more data, adding more constraints, and, uh, and asking it not to generate conversations about making plans, or, uh, yeah, just essentially just adding a lot more constraints to, to the prompt. Okay, cool. And what about for some stuff that players could look forward to? <laughs> As a player, uh, what do you think is the most exciting or coolest uh, out output of this stuff? Um, all the things that came from the uh, game jam that we did, they, like all the ideas are like really cool, right? Like um, I especially like my own idea, of course, because uh, you know, like conversations, but also all the other things like seedlings writing their own journals and even the radio. Uh, Ronnie Renegade, the character, was also like really cool. Hey there, Una Haven. It's your favorite radio host, Ronnie Renegade, bringing you the juiciest news from our beloved town on the Morning Lemon. Let's dive right in, shall we? The John family welcomed Misha, Aaron, Linda, Amelia, and Adrian to their fold, while the Thebolts added Heverton and Anna to theirs. Talk about a population boom. At this rate, we might need to start thinking about expanding the town borders. I've been getting a lot of questions lately about the history of our beloved planet, Avesta. We just no, no take story, a lot of data from the game world and we pass it to ChatGPT to, to generate text based on it. And then we take that and we ask uh, Levin Labs to generate um, audio from it. And the way it generates, right, it, it, it's, uh, it's funny and it's really interactive and it's really nice. 
And I think it adds a lot of value that if we were to get, I mean, if we were to try to achieve that without chat GPT, we would have we would have a lot of manual work, like a lot of narrative that we would need to write ourselves and like a lot of recording that we need to do, you know, like we need to get a voice artist and get all of this. Uh, so for every kind of text that you write, you need to get that recorded. But now we kind of get all of that essentially for free, right? Because we can just give it to an API and then we get a voice back that is, mm -hmm. that we get an audio file that is generated. So that's been like really uh, interesting. Um, I think I'll just leave it there. Okay. And uh, I mean, I can always, I know where to find you. <laughs> yeah. So again, I think it's all about the short-term impact of AI in the domain of text-based generation or even text-to-image generation being explored by writers themselves. Even when the API is for commercial non-writerly things such as medical chat support or, I don't know, banking advice or buying a pair of shoes from Foot Locker. Yeah, I mean, so some industries will be threatened, I guess, while others are opened up. Like, I mean, who would have thought conversation designer would be a thing in real life 20 years ago? So there you have it, language being broken down into a predictive set of conversation designs that your artificial intelligent employee can speak to your customers with and solve all their problems. I'm not sure my problems have been solved, John. We might need to look at this topic again. Maybe listeners have questions or thoughts about this subject. I don't think this is a robotic job, so I think we're safe. We're not robots. So you just heard Ava feeding her voice into resemble.ai. This is how the sausage is made, I guess. Now I can write voice notes forevermore in the voice of Ava. No, I'm only joking, I won't do that. Thank you all for listening. Uh, this episode was written by myself, John Holton, with additional writing by Ava Kelly. Sound editing and design was by David Magnuson. The executive producer is Mundi Vundi, and he's also created the artwork for this episode, fittingly in collaboration with the AI service or API Midjourney. Additional research, script supervision, and fact-checking was by Savita Joshi. Follow us on social media and subscribe if you don't already subscribe to us. And we promise that no AI was hurt in the making of this episode. Until next time, this is Ronnie Renegade signing off. <laughs> <laughs>